Blog Talk Radio. Do you believe that America has become too politically correct? Von Wehunt speaks truth to power. Do you see the coming of our political and economic demise? Von Wehunt speaks bluntly about the need to correct America's course quickly. And now, broadcasting from the Eagle's Nest, a man who makes no excuses for putting America first. Here's your host, Von Wehunt the Barbarian. America, this is your Panzer Group leader broadcasting from my underground mountain studio in Bunker Deep in the forests and mountains of Arizona in my wolf's lair. We are glad you are here tonight, my friends. We have another very big show for you all planned. The great World War II historian and author, our VIP guests. Peter David Orr will make an appearance for the show tonight to um, give us a bit about his new books, which we'll talk about here in a moment. A fan of the show wrote me this recently. He said this, you have to start romanticizing your life. You have to start thinking of yourself as the main character, because if you don't, life will continue to pass you by. And all the little things that make life so beautiful will continue to go on unnoticed. So take a second. Take a deep breath, Von Wehunt, and I know you do. Look around and realize that life, it's all just a blur. Well, I like that from a fan of the show. I get cards, letters, and emails every week. We are breaking numerical records all over the country. The Von Wehunt Show, underground radio, channeling the spirit of underground from somewhere west of the Rockies, as we are truly radio-free Western America, guerrilla-style radio, as we are up against many powerful forces, my friends. We are pure energy, never Forget that. Only the size of the sacrifice will reveal the greatness of the victory. What is easily achieved in life will be easily forgotten, mine camaraden. We swear on the altar of God, eternal hostility to all forms of tyranny over the mind of man. To my Twitter. My Twitter wolves out there in the American forest, and my radio wolves, I'm telling you now, which we've talked about before on this, this show, that this fall and this presidential election will be very tumultuous, very chaotic, and possibly violent for the reelection of President Trump. In the streets of America, there will be mass chaos. 
We will need all digital warriors right now to heed the call of duty. We will fight all our enemies, and we will need all hands on deck going forward. In my view, those that burn the nation down and who terrorize the countryside with arson fires and assaults, they've stirred up something very deep inside Americans that has laid dormant for quite some time, possibly even back to 1776. They have ignited our ruthless fire like never before. The torch is lit, and we must prevail. This is our great time to be alive. We are taking back our country in streets. Now is the time to strike in all directions against the weaker powers aligned against us. As you know, we are the armed right wing of America, and the more they attack us, the stronger we get. Suburban voters in this election cycle are pouring into the Republican Party because of the violence in Democrat-run cities and states that are currently on fire. If Biden gets in, this violence is coming to the suburbs. And fast, you could say goodbye to your American dream. I've told you before to prepare America, get all the gear that you're going to need going forward. And you know what I mean by that. Right now, fires rage all over the western United States. Hundreds of them tonight. Many fires are being contained, some not totally contained, a lot of smaller fires that are underreported in Washington, Oregon, and California. But most of these fires were not caused by nature or lightning, but by the hand of man. Many arsonists have been caught. The last news that I received was about 14 criminal arsonists have been caught. A radical near Portland, Oregon, was arrested two times in a 12-hour time span for arson after first being released on bail. A man was arrested on Sunday for intentionally setting a brush fire near Interstate 205 in Portland. Then just hours after he was released, he was taken back into custody again for lighting six, I repeat, six more fires, according to Portland police. Just amazing, the arson that's out there. Another man was arrested for setting Southern Oregon fires, which caused much damage to small towns in Jackson County. He was arrested on two counts of arson, 15 counts of criminal mischief, and 14 counts of reckless endangerment. Just amazing. When state troopers and the sheriff deputies arrived, they saw the suspect standing close to a large fire that was threatening several homes. And right now, again, 14 arson-related crimes have been identified per Oregon News in that state per many news sources. In my view, 14 arson fires and 14 arsonists that have been identified should get far more penalty than what they're currently getting. Arsonists should get the death penalty for killing people 
police officers, wildlife, pets, livestock, crops, homes, property, cars, and for disrupting millions of people's lives, contaminating the air and the water. These leftist criminals talk a big game about being nice to the environment and climate change, but yet they burn down their states, their cities, their towns. They're all talk. Always remember that. The criminal arsonists, in my view, is not worth it, not worth a dime, and they should get the death penalty. They do millions of dollars in damage, if not billions nationwide. Like I said earlier, these riot militants and eco-terrorists are getting frustrated, and now they are torching their state. As I predicted to you a few shows ago, they would resort to, to lighting their states on fire. I was the one that said that, and they did it because I knew they were losing the battle for the hearts and minds of real America. So they lashed out at you, America. They lashed out. If they can't win... If you aren't joining their pathetic causes, then they will burn it all down. Because in all the BLM, Antifa, and other leftist Democrat-type protests, all they talk about is burning this MFR down. It's all they talk about. Now, tonight, like lots of nights, we have, as I know, many, many powerful people listening to us in Washington, D.C., in governor's mansions, international kings and princes and sultans, even in the Hollywood Hills, movie producers, actors, prime ministers, and great Americans like yourself. So we know they're out there. We can tell. Just know that for what it is. So when you call a show, you are talking to many powerful people around the world. Now, as I said before, the riot militants and protesters, they promised you, America, that if they did not get their way, that they would burn it all down. Just saying, look at Minneapolis, torched, now the West. The weird thing, again, is that Antifa and BLM, they grew up in the beautiful, gorgeous Pacific Northwest. If they are from there, they grew up in a very beautiful part of the country. But these are grievance junkies who love to be offended, who love to grind their axe, who love to find more grievances that they can yell and bitch about. You know, it's true, America. I believe the militant Democrat leftists will show their ugliest face ever, ever in a month. Now, September 17th, today was supposed to be the start of their siege on the White House. So watch Washington, D.C. as things go on. They're supposed to riot in Washington, D.C., fight with the police, and fight with all the people there. If you just join the show, this is the legendary Von Weekend Show. Epic episode number 16 tonight, my friends. They star date of September 17th, 2020. And tonight's infamous episode is Adolf Hitler in Argentina. 
We'll have the author, Peter David Orr, on here at the half hour to talk about it. Folks, we got some uh, more fan mail I want to um, share with you, and uh, we'll talk about that during the show. But um, I will share with you one. Her name is Blue Memphis, and she writes again to me four or five times now. She writes, I'm a new listener. I love your show. Vaughn, you are so damn right about the thoughts on our country. We need your show and the truth and goodness you bring. You're a true patriot, and thank you for your work. I especially love the promos with Wolf Studio Productions when he does the voice for Rocky Balboa, Hollywood actor Sylvester Stallone. I'll tune in again and again and hope to be a fan and a future caller, maybe, in the future. In Christ's name, we are one. Beth, Blue Memphis. Thank you, Blue Memphis. I really appreciate that tonight. And all the great fans of the show. We have millions. Folks, we've got a lot in store for you. We have a lot going on in the country. And we'll get to all that here momentarily. We will go now to uh, something that I'd like to bring on. It's called the show promo. Von Wehunt speaks truth to power. Von Wehunt speaks bluntly about the need to correct America's course quickly. No excuses for putting America first. Von Wehunt, the Barbarian. Thursday at 8 p.m. The Von Wehunt Show. Conversation and analysis of breaking news, geopolitical events, politics, history, and some fun, too. Von Wehunt is an astute observer of the human condition. Von Wehunt will cut through the political correctness and speak bluntly about the social, political, and economic demise taking place in America and around the world. Von Wehunt is a nationalist who, without shame, puts America first. Von Wehunt, the Barbarian. Thursday at 8 p.m. Now, Wool Studio Productions is our great sponsor, and you can reach Mr. Wolf at 480-271-4781 or email him at bgw.advo at gmail.com for your corporate or charity event. He is fantastic. He does many promos for the show, and he has a children's book out called Buzz and Zip. Which sounds like this. This isn't Sebastian Gorka, but that's all right. I'm here to tell you about a brand new edutainment series. It's Buzz and Zip, the two flies on the wall. They're incredible. They've got a brand new series that's come out in book form and downloadable book form, ebook, and also in audio book. It's a wonderful little tale. These characters like to go everywhere. They're kid friendly, well, kids of all ages anywhere, and as they go and take their adventures, there's always something new to learn when they go wherever they go. Get your book right now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, iTunes, and look for Buzz, B-U-Z-Z-N-Z-I-P-P. That's Buzz and Zip. They're ready. You saw the ads and you saw what was out there on the Von Wehunt Show. You have to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Go ahead. Call up. Make his day. It's the Von Wehunt Show. 
Now, our VIP guest, Peter David Orr, will be on first. After that, we will take some calls from the audience. We have many callers now on our board. So we'll get to you all in the latter half of the show if you want to hang on. The call-in number tonight is 563-999-3437. Now, in other news tonight, Benghazi. It's the forgotten September 11th attack on the U.S. consulate in Libya where our ambassador and soldiers died. Just to say, we will never forget you. And also in other news, U.S. retail sales disappoint. Online spending growth hits a wall as the government handouts end. The government needs to get this unemployment and stimulus bill passed. There's still many, many Americans, millions that cannot find work, that need help, that are in desperate circumstances. So they do need this stimulus bill to be passed by both houses of Congress. We always have money for foreign aid. We always have money for foreign wars. But we never seem to get our act together or have money for the American people. Isn't that true, Mr. and Mrs. America? You, this, this deal should have been done a month and a half ago. They're still goofing off and not doing their jobs in Washington, D.C. I tell them all to get to work. A Chinese scientist has spoken with the Fox correspondent, Tucker Carlson, and she said, this is what she said now, that COVID-19 was intentionally released by the Chinese Communist Party on the world. And right now, they are trying to, quote-unquote, disappear her or kill her. And eight people in Indonesia were caught not wearing masks, and they were punished by having to, get this, dig the graves of alleged COVID victims in that country. In the UK, the government is now encouraging people to spy on their neighbors for COVID-19 incursions. They call it in contraventions, excuse me, quote unquote, and to report it promptly to the police. It's neighbor versus neighbor now in the United Kingdom. Just unbelievable. After the Minneapolis City Council votes to defund cops this past week, they are now utterly baffled at the recent crime wave, and they ask themselves, where are the police? You defunded them. They're no longer there. Minneapolis has many arson fires tonight. Allegedly, of course. In other leaked emails, Nashville, Tennessee authorities said that there were hardly any COVID-19 cases contracted at bars and restaurants. Again, there were hardly any COVID-19 cases, to reiterate. Don't you just love leaked emails, America? President Trump this past week said that a much higher fiscal stimulus is needed. So brace for it, America. Help is on the way. With millions still hurting economically, they sure could use it. And in Army tests, a science fiction weapon of sorts has come about. It's a hypersonic smart bullet fired from a tank 
This past week during trials, it downed a cruise missile. Think about that. A hypersonic smart bullet took down a cruise missile. Just amazing. A new survey release says that self-censorship is soaring in the United States. Just what our corrupt elites have always wanted for you, Mr. and Mrs. America. That you would someday, without them imposing martial law, police yourselves like a Chinese communist regime. And China and India are in a major Himalayan border dispute in troop buildup. Fights have erupted there before. Keep your eye on China and India border, folks. The troop buildup is expected to last well into the winter. War is a distinct possibility between China and India, and both are nuclear powers. It would not surprise me in the least if real war breaks out there in the near future. Taiwan's also a hot spot. Keep your eye on China. The, the American media wants you to focus on Vladimir Putin and Russia. Though a concern, the real threat to America is coming from Asia, from the Chinese dragon, the Chinese Communist Party. Keep your eyes on them going forward. And pr- President Trump has pushed for an unprecedented seven major weapon systems sales to Taiwan to thwart the Chinese communist threat because for months now, the Chinese communists have been threatening Taiwan with military invasion, if not years of these threats against that tiny island nation, which is an ally of the United States. And now there are finally subpoenas that are authorized for Comey, Brennan, Clapper, Halper, and other Spygate figures. And this week, rockets were fired at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Now, this marks the fourth attack on the Western targets in the past 72 hours. And Hurricane Sally made landfall in Alabama with catastrophic, life-threatening flooding. This is a tropical depression now. It's been downgraded, no longer a Category 1 hurricane. It's it's mainly a rain event, very intense rain. But um, folks out there are still having a rough time. Folks, our VIP guest tonight is author Peter David Orr with the great book, Hitler's Suicide, Reasonable Doubt. It's on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. Fantastic book about the last days of World War II, the Berlin Bunker. And this book scrutinizes and and basically debunks claims made by over 80 witnesses and knocks the bottom out of declarations made by experts that have asserted a variety of forensic proofs quote-unquote, of Hitler's death in the Berlin bunker on April 30th, 1945. There's lots to say about that. His book is fascinating, and the companion book, Eyewitness 2, or 
Hitler's Escape. Both books are on Amazon.com. So glad you're here tonight, folks. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of callers. Again, stay on the line. We're talking about the election for a moment. Creepy Uncle Joe Biden can't think straight for two seconds. I've told you before, he needs, he must, along with Kamala the Communist Harris, they must lose big in November, America. Make sure you vote. Trump 2020. Make sure that his campaign, that the creepy Joe Biden campaign, never sees the light of day, my fellow American patriots. And going back to World War II for a moment, it was General Patton that said after he entered Berlin towards the close of World War II that we fought and attacked the wrong enemy, being the German Reich, and that the real enemy got away with the loot and murder of millions and manipulated it all. And that's why, in my view, General Patton was assassinated and killed in Europe in some bogus fake car accident. For that sentiment and many others, the new globalists could not use Patton any longer for their nefarious plans and the smoldering remains of the Third Reich and Europa. We see the, the world today fast forward from May 1945, Western democracy was never preserved. We see invasions of Europe, invasions of the West, or the Third World, our great, gallant, brave soldiers fought in Europe and in Asia to, quote-unquote, preserve Western democracy and our way of life. Neither have been protected. Neither have been conserved. Oh, we have them. But anyone can easily look at history and, and, and say with a straight face that our country is nowhere near it used to be with the protections of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Our privacy has been stripped away. Our individual and nationhood sovereignty has been stripped away. Same for Europe. What did we fight for? Did we fight for the new world order? Did we fight for some globalist cabal elite who pitted brother against brother, family against family? They went through the meat grinder of war. Millions died in World War II. There was the Berlin bunker. Many rumors of Hitler getting out of Berlin. Many more rumors of Adolf Hitler living in Argentina after the war in Chile and Paraguay, moving very frequently. Our own intelligence services, the CIA and the FBI, had many cables of their spies on the ground who saw Adolf Hitler dining at the Icorn residence at hotels in Argentina where he held court, and he was trying to rebuild the Fourth Reich and the smoldering ruins of the Third Reich. Very interesting history. I'm a firm believer that truth is stranger than fiction. 
that a lot of the history of World War II we're just now finding out. Like I said in our last show, this is part two of our World War II big show tonight, that can you imagine the Allies in World War II if they had to announce to the world that Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer of the German Reich, got away? No, they couldn't do that under any pretense. There's no way in hell they would ever do that. They had to have a scapegoat. They had to close the books on that war. As many people don't know, the war is big business. And they wanted to close the books on that business. And they had to say he died. And they could never announce that he got away. Stalin believed Hitler got away. So did FDR, Truman. Well, FDR had already died, but I mean Truman and his remaining FDR cabinet believed that Hitler got away. We know this by the cables, by the correspondence between the American intelligence agencies and those of Europe. So tonight, my friends, we're back in the Fuhrer bunker. It's back to Berlin, the Battle of Berlin. World War II is alive and well. Many of the things we're going through tonight Today, this month, this year, have their roots in May of 1945, a very chaotic and tumultuous war, as we have chaos in our streets still after a brutal Second World War. Peace in the European and American streets has not been achieved. The war goes on. Glad you're all here tonight. So sit tight, strap in, put your crash helmet on, open up your eyes and your ears. We shall be back on our legendary show. We'll now.
Thank you for being at the legendary Von Weehunt show. And let's bring on our VIP guest. Peter. Yes, sir. Great to hear you. Hey, great to hear you. This is author Peter David Orr, the legendary author. Great to be on your show, Vine. What a wonderful, powerful monologue opening. Fantastic. Fantastic work, sir. Thank you very much. I thought you'd like that uh, intro and promo, some World War II uh, Gothic German music there. And I really appreciate talking to you uh, a few weeks back. We have part one of our series, folks, a few weeks back in the past episodes. And tonight's part two of Adolf Hitler in, in Argentina. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Fuhrer bunker, but but uh, Peter, if you could um, maybe fast forward from the Fuhrer bunker to that American GI that saw Hitler, and then let's leapfrog across the Atlantic to South America for a little bit. All right. Would you like me to touch on the eyewitness to Hitler's escape uh, featured in the book, Eyewitness to Hitler's Escape? Yes, sir. I'd love that. So um, I mentioned on the show last time that uh, American GI by the name of Aubrey Temples, he was uh, involved in the uh, Battle of Market Garden, that meat grinder, and he ended up uh, getting captured, as so many other Americans did at that time, and ended up in a in a place uh, a, a camp filled with other American flyboys in particular, but but also just regular GIs like Aubrey in a place called Mooseburg, um, and um, this is a large camp, large Stalag, um, that is outside of Munich. Eventually, as the war progressed and Munich was being bombed. He was put on detail to clean up the rubble in Munich, and by the beginning of March of 1945, because of uh, the daily bombings and uh, there was the civilian population of Munich was had headed south, and they took many of the American prisoners and they put them in small satellite camps spread all around the southern portion of Bavaria. And also in the Tyrol, in North Austria. Um, He ended up in a little village uh, working as a farmhand um, in a place called Neustorf am Inn. So if anyone can imagine, in terms of a a map of Europe, if you head south of Munich, almost directly south, roughly 70 miles, almost to the Austrian border, um, you're going to come to um, Neustorf, and at the time, I think maybe the population was 800. You know, it was a little mm-hmm. bucolic village, uh, only right. known for one thing, and that was the that was that was being the home of a fellow by the name of Reichsleiter Philip Bühler. He was uh, hmm. Hitler's number one bureaucrat next to. Um, Martin Borman, and he took care of Bueller, uh, was uh, personally responsible for a number of things, but the, the most important thing was he was, in, he was he was in charge of all of Hitler's personal papers. He was in charge of all archiving everything to do with 
uh, anything from Hitler's rise to the very end of the war that had anything to do with com- personal communication with Adolf Hitler um, as part of the Reich's chance story. Now, um, I, bring, I bring this name up because it, Aubrey was uh, working as a farmhand. He was uh, detailed to a, a, a German family, the Mosers, um, in New hmm. York. And it, it, on the Moser farm, he worked from, uh, let's say, roughly the second week of March to uh, May the 2nd when he was liberated by a very small American force at Walden to Neustorf. But before his liberation, uh, he was allowed to walk because of his relationship with the Moser family. He was allowed to walk unguarded day after day. If people, have, if people find this hard to believe, but uh, I've tracked down a number of the 20 POWs who were in that very small camp, um, all of them had really the run of the town and almost like personal relationships with the families. And it's not because they were traitors to their nation. It's because they had no place to go. And if they were going to run away, they knew the war was coming to an end. Where were they going to go? So they were, they were these, these guys, right? These guys were, were not traitors. I've, I can't believe the number of times that I've, I've seen posts by people on social media who accused Aubrey of, of being some kind of a turncoat. It's just, it's just sickening. Anyway, Aubrey was walking down the street, the main drag in Neusdorf. You know, it's just basically, uh, you know, a mule trail that leads down to a couple of uh, homes uh, in, in the mm-hmm. center of the village, a pharmacy, and a little, a little inn. Right. And then, right? And little town square. Comes, yeah, he comes, he comes to the corner there um, roughly 7 a.m. Uh, and he typically would eat breakfast with the Mosers. And uh, for a GI, he only weighed 145 pounds soaking wood at that time. You know, that was that was the highlight of his day because the rest of his meals, you know, weren't so sure. plentiful. <laughs> so as he, he, as he mm-hmm. came to that corner, he noticed that from the Bueller residence, which is up the hill um, from the village, it's almost like overlooking the village, uh, came three Mercedes. And these were, I mean, they obviously got his attention because it was it was a very official-looking procession. He just froze in his tracks. And he was literally wearing the dirty, dusty, stinky American uniform, the same one he'd been caught in. So he's thinking, I'm a dead man. <laughs> uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to run because these guys are all armed and, and this – caravan of three large Mercedes roll up right in front of him and, and literally stop within feet of where he is. And the uh, young SS guards, he figures they were, you know, the majority of them were like maybe 16, 17, 18, maybe 19 the most. And um, he looked into the center car that was right in front of him and behind what looked to him like bulletproof glass there was a thick glass, like the car was divided, the Mercedes was divided into two parts. In the front portion where the driver was, in the back portion, there was a man, and he was just staring out the window, not at Aubrey, but staring down at a field beyond him. And as Aubrey looked in there, he said, holy crap, that's Alf Hitler. <laughs> now, of course, he wow. was stunned as anyone of us. Can you imagine? <laughs> 
And what, what happened next was, you know, he, he, I'm sure that it was much faster in terms of the way it really went. But in his mind, the whole world stopped, and it was, you know, he was looking at Hitler for three, you know, maybe six minutes, right, at this intersection. Mm-hmm. But right. the, the, the cars continued to roll down the hill to a large meadow that were it was often used for, you know, small planes like the Storch, for instance, coming and going. Mm-hmm. Uh, when any you know, dignitaries would arrive, and just the, at the very beginning of when he arrived in Neustorf, there was a lot of activity because they were setting up special radio towers all across southern Bavaria and northern Austria. This is this is part of the Al, the the you know what's known as the Alpine Redoubt, and uh, yes, the, the radio the radio transmitters were. You know, supposedly put there so they could communicate with local forces. As it turns out, the radio transmitter in Neustorf was quite superior to that. Um, it was capable of sending radio transmissions as far as Spain, and so were a number of the other ones in that very in that same area. Uh, from there's like there was a swath of them from there to Innsbruck. So anyway, let me get back to the story here. I'm getting carried away. Interesting. Um, getting ahead of myself, but um, it sort of clicked in Aubrey's mind at the moment he saw Hitler that, you know, all this other activity that had come before it, okay, so there's something going on here. Now, he had no idea. He hadn't heard any reports about Hitler dying. This is the morning, this is, this is this, around 7 a.m. on the morning of April 30, 1945, when, when right? So um, he sees the three Mercedes go down the hill to that meadow, and there, there are three um, Pistler Storches lined up there, and they're, they're, you know, getting ready to go. And he watches as uh, Hitler is helped out of the second car and into the second plane. So I asked Aubrey, um, and I interviewed him eight times, um, and for a a guy who was 90 and 91 at the time, he had a rem- remarkably key memory. Um, mm-hmm. He said he said the planes were unmarked. Um, they, they didn't have any numbers that he can remember on them. They didn't they didn't have um, a swastika on them. They they appeared to be just a, a, a light gray color. Um, they might have had markings that were just obscured, but he couldn't see. It was about a football field's distance or where the storches were. And he stood on that okay. corner, and he was afraid to move. See. So he didn't wander down there towards this activity. But as Hitler was being helped across the field um, and into the second plane, he recalled that uh, Hitler did walk quite slowly, but Hitler didn't seem infirmed or Hitler didn't didn't seem to him like he was, you know, about to kill over and die, as been has been widely and erroneously reported about his condition anyway. Um, uh, the fellows who were flying these planes were dressed in unusual uniforms. They had on practically an all white uniform that resembles um, something that you might see with Alpine troops, but they didn't have any markings on these uniforms. So mm-hmm. uh, again, he, he, you know, he couldn't place like what they belonged to, were they SS or not. And uh, the pilots all looked to him really young. 
really young, like maybe 16, 17, 18 at the most. So Mm -hmm. the one thing that he remembers the most about Hitler being helped across the field wasn't any kind of physical infirmity, but there was a big deal made about several packages that were put in the first, second plane, and then there was a large um, sort of thin, it looked almost like an architect's uh, pack. If you've ever seen, um, how can I describe this? It, there, it's about, or, or, or a map case. Think of a World War II map case that's often used by Yes, I've two. seen those. Yes. It's yes, I've seen that. those. It's kind of a satchel, right? Like a satchel briefcase? Yes, but it's it's tall and it's wide and it's re- relatively thin. Yes. It carries so, the war so, plans in it. Exactly. Something like that. It carries now, the campaign no plans. Yes. Right. He had no idea what it was, but that but that was that particular piece of luggage, there was a big deal being made of it between the guys helping Hitler into the plane, and that was put that was stowed behind where Hitler was in the back seat in the second storage. And then of course, within probably fifteen minutes or so, the planes flew off. And they flew south along the, the river in. Um and as we discovered later on, um they they went all the way down to Innsbruck and landed there. And there in Innsbruck, uh the third part of Hitler's escape route uh went into action. But Aubrey had he had he he had no idea where Hitler ended up. So that's where mm-hmm. his story his story ends in terms of seeing something. Um, but his story never ended in terms of trying to prove what he did see. For instance, uh, he he immediately went to the Moser residence. He went to this this family that he trusted, and they were very kind to him, and they were extremely afraid when he arrived. They hid him almost immediately, and when he explained to them, I've already been seen, they couldn't believe it. And they sat down at the breakfast table, and everyone was just totally nervous. And they told him at that moment, he didn't say, he didn't say he saw Hitler until they told him. So he was so afraid to say it to them, but they told him first. They said, Tex, that was the what they called them. You know, Tex, Hitler was here last mm-hmm. night in, in the state of the Bueller residence. Uh, wow. How 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 did the family know? Well, um, there was a younger boy in the family. His his name was Peter Moser, and Peter Moser was you know sixteen, I guess seventeen at the time, and uh, he had the run of the town. And you know how at the end of World War II, a lot of the defense was up to young fellows like him, and he and a whole bunch of his friends were um, Hitler youth, and they were determined right. to protect the town. You know they you know they. They really, you know, thought they were doing good things by organizing the town into defensive mode, etc. And they were really the only defense there was, and so it was, it was kind of crazy. But he and his buddies had been roaming the town, and they saw that Hitler had come. They had friends who, who's, uh, for instance, the mayor of Neustorf's daughter was asked, because these are farmers. These are farmers. They were asked to deliver food and milk. For Hitler personally. So the, the mayor's daughter was a friend of Peter Moser, the boy, and told him all about this. So, 
So they're all talking about this, and Aubrey's like, okay, I'm not crazy. They're telling me what I saw. So you can imagine right. when, when Newstorf was liberated, it was liberated by a very small uh, a recon group um, attached to the 12th Armored Division, and um, it was just uh, a half-track and a jeep that I, that I believe Aubrey said arrived. And immediately, you see, Aubrey presented a major that he saw, you know, someone he thought was important. He wrote everything down on a piece of paper and said, please, um, this needs to go to Eisenhower. He needs to know what I saw. And the fellow who um, appeared to Aubrey to be some sort of a, a pilot and a major, he couldn't quite figure out why he was with this recon unit. Uh, took the note and promised Aubrey that he would deliver that note to Eisenhower. Now, Aubrey, unfortunately, went to his grave not knowing that that note eventually was actually delivered. And he had asked the question of high-ranking officials um, in the state of Texas where he lived to a senator uh, of Texas at the time um, to a high-ranking federal judge in Texas who concluded who confirmed that there were records of this, but then, strangely, there was a massive fire where Aubrey's records were kept, and a lot, everything, of course, everything that all, that was uh, a record of Aubrey's existence uh, in in the military was burned away. I am trying to remember what where that fire well timed fire to get rid of all the evidence. You know, well timed, yeah, typical, so, typical. So, you know, I looked for months and months and months uh, to, to, you know, try to find any trace of this document. I did eventually find uh, confirmation that the um, someone very close to Eisenhower got this document. Um, I wouldn't call it a smoking gun, but it's as close, as close to a smoking gun as you can get. Uh, this fellow's name was uh, Captain Bailey, and he was, he was uh, Eisenhower's right-hand man. And he was he was involved with investigation into Hitler's whereabouts. It was a secret investigation that was uh, trekking all around Germany after uh, the war was over and before the Nuremberg trials began. That was the deadline. See, they wanted all that taken care of if possible before the Nuremberg trials began because you have to wrap it up, like you said in your introduction, in a nice bow. Anyway, so this fellow, um, Lieutenant Colonel Calvin Bailey who uh, was Eisenhower's man, I found a, a note, a letter that was written to him by a, another colonel by the name of Rosengren, and Aubrey's name in the situation is mentioned. So we have the evidence that uh, was found in the uh, Wisconsin State Archives of all places. So I guess Bailey went to the University of Wisconsin and ended up there. So hmm. um, it's a fascinating story. And it's sad to me that that some a document like that that would have would have uh, you know made Aubrey feel so much better about telling the story to everyone he's seen for you know decades before he passed away, but he never did get to see it. But his family, you know, his his family uh, mm-hmm. obviously was very happy to see that. So um, that's essentially Aubrey's story. Um, if you think about that's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, I definitely believe in 1,000%. He had no way or any motivation to lie. No. Why no. would he make a story like that in occupied Germany with World War II raging around him, saying things like that to either side to get him in trouble? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, get and I, it's like I said before, they wanted to close the books on this war and put a bow on it nice and neat and package it up and, you know, wrap it, pack it, ship it. And they did not want to reopen this, this uh, chapter in world history. So get a little of this on. I, 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 um, I found a woman uh, back in 2016 is when I first contacted her. I believe it was the spring of 2016 who had uh, been a tremendous athlete. And she's from your neck of the woods. Um, her name was P- Patricia Pat Jackson. She was a, mm-hmm. like, uh, a phenomenal tennis player, female athlete. And in 1949-50, she was she got a job after graduating from college. She got a job with the um, U.S. counterintelligence, and not not actually in in the army, but as a civilian who was in support of uh, an exercise program for our troops who were in occupation in Bavaria. Now Pat Jackson. She ended up living in the quarters, the headquarters, mind you, of the CIC in Bavaria. Well, guess where that was? It was in Neusdorf, in Reichsleiter Bueller's landhouse. The exact really? same location, the same place. So, <laughs> now, how convenient! This, you cannot make this stuff up. This is a beautiful story. Kat tells me, she said, Peter. The people who were our housekeepers in Bueller's old mansion, they were Bueller's housekeepers. The Americans just let them stay on. <laughs> the gardener, yeah. it was a gardener, and, and, and the husband and the wife was you know, the, the all-purpose cook and house cleaner, and, and she became fast friends with this woman by the name of, by the name of Lisa. That was her name was Annalisa, but her, she called her Lisa for short. And one day, Lisa and Patricia, Cat Jackson, okay, they're walking downtown in this little village, and they sit down in a, a, a little cafe, and they're talking. And all of a sudden, Lisa says, "Have the clue was going to pack? You know, Hitler was here the night before the war ended." <laughs> That's like, what? <laughs> wow. What are you about? And so when, when, you know, Pat, Pat knew what she knew, just like many Americans know what they know. She, she said to, to Lisa, she said, um, Hitler died. Uh, how could he be here at the end of the war? What are you talking about? And Lisa said, no, he, he didn't die. He was here. I fed him. I made a special meal for him on the morning. Wow. Of um, there you go. That is wild. It's it is truly wild. And to this day, the town of Newstark is on pins and needles. Let me tell you, buddy. Um, really? No one in that town wants no. They don't want the, the outside world to know that there are still bunkers that are hidden underneath that house. That not just hidden, really? other high-ranking Nazis. Yeah, yeah. In, in oh, I bet. 
And then, now, and how then, do you spell that German town, Peter? How's it spelled? Yeah, Newdorf. N-U-S-S, which is like S-S, D-O-R-F. And then Am, A-M is a separate word. And last, In, I-N-N, is in the river Inn. So it's just like saying Newdorf on the river Inn in English. And, you know, gotcha. the nutty town. I want to go there some sometime in the future. I want to check it out. I've been to Munich, yeah, um, but I've never been there. Yes. Wow. Me too. Very intense. Your story, your story before. <laughs> well, Munich to me was like the uh, center of the World War II activities, many of the uh, marches and whatnot. I went to the Hofbrau House where, you know, Hitler gave his speeches and all of that. And I, it was fascinating, the history in that, in that one, one town north of there, obviously. But I was fascinated by Munich. Uh, people today, well, I went there several years ago, but they were very tight-lipped about the war. And, oh you know, it's, the, it's, it's a modern city, obviously, still. You know, like the lady told me, she was, the ghosts of World War II are still here. They're still here. Yeah, but that's an amazing town south of there. I got to go. It's, it's interesting to me how you know, I've read so many uh, diaries and memoirs of American soldiers who rolled through Munich at the end of the war. And one of the things that they have in common that most people wouldn't hear, but your audience might appreciate this, is that when, when Americans got to Bavaria, all of a sudden they felt like they were home. Many of them were like, whoa, this is, this is, this is strange because, you see, many of these troops had been from places like Italy and France and and the Low Countries, you know, et cetera. And they had been right. through other parts of northern Germany, but there's something about Bavaria and Munich in particular that many American troops described as just like they felt like it was home. So I've heard that before. You know, I have heard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think... Interesting. It's hard, it's hard to explain because we have such an adversarial relationship with history that, we, that often we can't see other perspectives... But I think it would be. I think it would be. I think it's pretty darn important, uh, especially considering what we're going through today, to understand the perspective of history that, for instance, Germany went through during the Weimar Republic years. I mean, everything you said in your opening uh, monologues, uh, Von, it just struck a chord with me. All the things that I've studied about those years, the tempestuous years, and, and how the far left literally tried to, you know, set Germany on fire and you know, what came of that. It reminded me of a quote of a fellow that uh, was, uh, oh, goodness, he was probably 84 years old when I met him in Berlin, and he said to me, because I was, I had my own first experience with Antifa in Berlin back in 2004, okay, and it was in Berlin. I, I, I honestly had no clue, and, and when, when, when I saw how dangerous they were, I was just stunned. He said, "Well, this is this has been going on for years in Germany." And he said, "He said, now this guy, by the way, was a died-in-the-wool communist that I'm talking that I'm talking mm-hmm. to. Okay? So keep that in mind." He said, "Peter, um, the light left. He's talking about you know this the, what we might call in America the social democrats or the liberals." He said, "They will be the first. Those enablers of these people, when they're in power, they'll be the first to go." That's right. So, so, so the people who think that they can control Antifa, 
they are sadly mistaken, sadly mistaken, especially the, the, the Joe Bidens of the world. They are delusional if they think that they can use these disturbances to get their way politically and then somehow come out on top. They will not come out on top, even if they do in the election. History. I totally agree. Yeah, and 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 the Peter, you know, Stalin of Russia called the uh, those kinds of people useful idiots. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they're useful idiots for the cause to get them in power. Then when they get in power, they kill everybody else because they said, well, if you turn on the first government, you would turn on us eventually, so we have to kill you. Right. That's how it works right. in the real world. Yep. And the far, the actual far left, the types that that uh, you know were, would have been encountered in the streets of Berlin in nineteen late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties. These these people, can you imagine what they would actually do to? I'll call them the the pink left. Uh, the, the cold they are. Marxists are just useful idiots, and all that nonsense under a communist regime that's that's going away right away. All of it. Oh yeah. You know, well, they want that in in uh, in our country. They want that in Europe. They want the communist yeah. flag. They fly that. They want a Marxist regime. They've even said that many many times, which I've showcased on on my show. And even when I was at KF, I had audio of them saying that. Not so much the people in the streets, but their but their leaders, the the uh, commissars, if you will. They know what yes. they're doing. Yep. And they know what they want. Go ahead, sir. I'm so, sorry. Um, no, it's no, it's all right. Um, I was I was thinking what I could what I could tell you that was related to the Pat Jackson story that might your audience might might find interesting. Uh, there was a fellow by the name of uh, Hughes Rudd. He was um, maybe uh, the older people in, the, in in your audience might recall back in the day he was uh, an anchor. Uh, but before he was an anchor on you know, primetime TV, uh, he he was um, a flyboy, a, a um, reconnaissance flyboy in uh, the European theater of operations of World War II. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I discovered that Hughes Rudd, of all people, uh, had written extensively about his experience coming right down this the same alley and with a recon unit. Uh, going right through Newsdorf and right into Austria. And as it turns out, he tells a fascinating story about how uh, when he got to Newsdorf, uh, he was greeted by a whole bunch of kids. And he and his buddies were determined to get their hands on what the kids were talking about. The kids were talking about these famous planes that would come in out of the town, out of the village. And as, as, a, as a recon flyboy, you know, he was used to flying American versions, right? Like the, like the, uh, imagine the World War II version of a pipe pub, right? So he and his mm-hmm. buddies were determined to figure out where the three planes that the kids told him about get a load of that. Three planes that arrived in, on the 30th. There we go again. South. Yep. Yep. Headed south. So he and his buddies, against the law, by the way, without permission from their, from, from, from anyone above them, went in a, in a single jeep and they drove ahead of all the troops down to Innsbruck. Because that's where, the, that's where they were told that those planes were headed. And we got to Innsbruck, 
they found these freaking same three unmarked planes sitting on the hillside. Just sitting there. A bunch of guys and get huh. over this. White white jersey tops and dingy pants and they were all just kids. And so they, they went we to these guys that hey they say, Hey, the war is over, we want your planes. And these 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 teens said, Oh yeah, we just we just flew down here. Now we'll fly you back. So literally imagine this. You can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. Uh, Hughes Rudd and his buddies literally flew back with the same planes without knowing it that had carried Hitler from Neustorf to Innsbruck. They, those same Amazing. planes. And when he, when he came back, of course, he was, he was determined to find out who these unmarked planes belonged to, and he found out that that they had been confiscated by the SS. Uh, a special tr- uh, group of Hitler youth, the SS trainees, in a, in a nearby mountain village, and I can't recall the name of the village off, offhand, but they, they, they were Rommel's storches originally. These three had been Rommel's storches. They had been confiscated by this, this strange unit, painted all over, right, to obscure everything on them, and then they were the, the best, those same planes were the ones that were used. So when uh, Hughes Rudd and his buddies had the planes flown back with these German pilots, they landed in a place called Kuhstein, which is just south of Neustorf, in still, but in Austria. And there they got in trouble. Because <laughs> their, their boss is found. Wow. Hey, let's hold that thought. Can you, can you hang on for a, a, a couple of minutes for our break? Sure, of course. Thank you, Peter. Folks, we're talking to author Peter David Orr. Fascinating tales of Adolf Hitler after the war, his escape from the Berlin bunker. We shall return after these brief messages. Don't go anywhere. This is an amazing story with author Peter David Orr. Have you ever wanted your company, product, or idea on the radio airwaves? Well, now is your chance. Be a proud sponsor of the Von Wehunt Radio Show program, which airs weekly on blogtalkradio.com and then is uploaded to many Internet websites such as Dark Sky Radio, Twitter, Spotify Podcast, and then all over America and the entire world. Get your product, service, and business idea out there now. We have very good cost-effective rates, and Vaughn can get you on the air and in front of literally tens of thousands of radio listeners each week all over the nation for pennies on your advertising dollar. And the return on your investment is huge. It's a hell of a great deal, and Vaughn will work with you to make your business or idea a big success. Vaughn Wehunt is a man of action and of his word. Please contact him at the station on Twitter via the Von Wehunt Show, or you can email him your advertising product or inquiry at vonwehuntshow at gmail.com. That's vonwehuntshow at gmail.com. Don't delay, and do it today. Remember, folks, it's always on with Vaughn. This ad brought to you by Wolf Studio Productions. And now our weekly face-covering mask update. <laughs> Hello? 
This mass date has been brought to you by the Von Wehunt Production Studios. Von Wehunt, the Von Wehunt Show, Thursdays at 8 to 10 p.m. on Dark Sky Radio and Blog Talk. It's not that our liberal friends don't know anything. It's that they know so much that isn't so. Folks, we're so glad you're here tonight. What a fantastic show. I'm so glad that we have author Peter David Orr here to talk about the remaining days of World War II. And now we return to the Von Wehunt Show featuring Von Wehunt the Barbarian. As you were talking about the uh, highlights of the ending days of World War II in Europe, fascinating story of Bavaria and that town south of Munich. Tell us what happened next in this fascinating story. I'm just on my. This is. I love history. I know our audience loves history, and especially World War II history, sir. So if please I could, continue. If I, piece, if I could piece together um, the history that surrounds Aubrey's. Aubrey's story, it might you know, put it in, in context. So what, what we've discovered is that on the, on the evening of April 28, uh, around midnight, Hitler uh, with Eva Braun and um, also in the plane, a, 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 a pilot by the name of Ernst Baumgart, who flew uh, ME-108, which is a four-seater version, um, off of the east-west axis in Berlin that night. And their destination originally had been to go to Tondern, Denmark. But that, that evening, there was unexpected uh, uh, American and British activity in the airspace that prohibited them from going that far. And they had to put down in a place called Berg by Magdeburg. Now, I have to point out because this is often very confusing to people. Uh, This is since we're talking about the the 28th or the earliest hours of the the 29th, right? In the middle of the night, their plane touches down at, at Berg by Magdeburg. So, People often will say, "What well, country is that in, Peter?" What's that? What uh, what the country is that in? Yeah, Berg by Magdeburg. Uh, if you can imagine old maps of uh, what used to be the DDR, East East Germany, it's close to the, it would be close to the the uh, just to the the east of the um, Elba. Uh, gotcha. So gotcha. Old, okay. And then just to the west of it would be the actual city that everyone really knows, Magdeburg. And so people often confuse those two places. There's actually Magdeburg, 
and there's actually East Magdeburg, there's actually West Magdeburg, and there's Berg by Magdeburg. And it's in, it was in it, it, this uh, one unit, by the way, where there had been um, a, a night fighter jet unit located that had been transferred, not ironically, but purposefully, to Denmark and um, Schleswig-Holstein uh, right before Hitler left. So they were there to run interference originally in that, in that area, but because, of, like I said before, the um, British and American air activities at night, Hitler's plane was put down at Berg by Magdeburg instead. And they couldn't continue okay. until almost they couldn't continue until almost daybreak. So um, that morning, the sunrise would have been something like I don't know, maybe sometime between five thirty and five forty-five. I would guess. I, I don't recall. Um, but they took off from Berg by Magdeburg only after meeting up with several other uh, important high-ranking Nazis. Um, I, I, the last time we spoke, we talked about uh, Hitler's handler, who missed mentioning that he was on that same plane because there were four seats in that plane. So we have uh, Ernst Baumgart, the pilot. We have Gestapo Müller, who is the is Hitler's handler for the escape, and we have then Hitler and Eva in the back seat of this uh, typhoon, this uh, uh, ME 108 typhoon. And it was Ava so upset that night, according to one witness, that she wasn't going to get to see her sister Gretel. Now, to put this in perspective, uh, Gretel was very close to giving birth to um, Herman Fagelein's son. So I'm sure your, your audience knows who Herman Fagelein was. Uh, so Gretel Brown, Ava's sister, is Gretel Fagelein. And she was in Bavaria at the time. She was in Berchtesgaden, uh, over Salzburg, um, mm-hmm. literally living in the bunker beneath beneath Hitler's Bruhoff. So uh, Ava apparently was so upset that she she cried her head off or whatever she did. And Hitler said, "Okay, well, I'm changing my mind." Um, he ordered his pilot and he ordered Heinrich Mueller to reroute and they were going to go south immediately and the other group was supposed to continue north to Tonder so the original pilot Ernst Baumgart erroneously called Peter Baumgart in many stories was uh, flew a Ju-52 transport plane on to its de- initial destination, and there, the a number of high-ranking Nazis went with that flight to notify uh, the escape route that people set up in Tundra and in a place called Silt, an island off the coast of, of uh, the, the the northernmost part of Germany, close to Denmark, uh, where hmm. the out where an out was set up. Utilizing, get this, a captured DC-3. Now, ha, an American plane. Yes, and it had been repainted 
to uh, look as if it was a medical evac plane. Smart now, move. Keep that in mind. Keep, yeah, keep that in mind. So that's one out, but Hitler did not take that out, but that flight actually did then go. So without Hitler, we have records of the people who were on that flight and who went, who, who actually got the same. Um, <laughs> the pilot, the pilot uh, of that, one of the pilots of that plane, I should say, the co-pilot, ended up in Namibia, which is ironic because Hitler's pilot that took him out of Berlin, the aforementioned Ernst Baumgart, also was from Namibia. So what yes. in those days it was um, a British protectorate, and it had yes. been German Southwest Africa. Anyhow, right. So now back to the back to the Hitler track. Hitler um, is is taken in that previously mentioned ME one hundred eight typhoon. Heinrich Mueller, who people people don't know this, but Heinrich Mueller was a trained pilot, and he had World War One fighter pilot experience. He personally flew Hitler and Eva Brown onto a place called Bad Abling. And this is, uh, if you can imagine a map of Bavaria, again, we're south of Berlin. We're close to Rosenheim by about uh, maybe five or six miles. This is a, this mm-hmm. is a massive um, airport that had become the center of traffic for, for any, any plane that was landing out of Berlin that couldn't, couldn't make it to one of the Berlin uh, airports or to Salis- the Salisbury airports were landing in this emergency air, air, airfield. And there is where Bueller's car, his Mercedes, met Hitler. And Hitler and Eva Braun were put in two separate Mercedes. Hitler was taken to Neusdorf, and Eva was taken down to uh, um, Garmisch Partenkirchen. Because by that time, wow. uh, by that time, what, you, what happened is um, the message had been sent by Bormann to Gretel in the, in, the, in the bunker of the Berghof, get the heck out of there and get to safety because you're not, you're, you're not safe there. We, kn- we know the Americans are coming. Get out of there. And so Gretel right. had been taken by one of Hitler's men one of Hitler's bodyguards that had left Berlin on the 22nd, and she was transported with her best friend all the way to Garmisch Partenkirchen, where she, on May the 5th, did give birth to uh, Hermann Fagelein's daughter. So, um, so Hitler, and, so this explains why um, when Aubrey saw Hitler, Hitler was alone. Eva was not with him. And that's because mm-hmm. they went in two separate cars, and they rendezvoused then again in Innsbruck in two separate vehicles. So, okay, with the be um, probably roughly nine a.m. on mm-hmm. um, April thirtieth, and on, on uh, by nine a.m. on May the first, uh, Hitler and Eva and um, a DC three unmarked. From Innsbruck, flew into Spain. So, wow! You see the pattern there. Amazing, I do, I do. With our uh, time coming up um, from Spain, um, 
let's talk a little bit about what your what does does your book go into Hitler in South America and the it, highlights it of that. It, it really doesn't. Um, uh, let mm-hmm. me explain why briefly. Um, this takes a long time to research. I mean, uh, I know I'm I can tell. It's fascinating. Years and years and years of research. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel comfortable writing it if I couldn't prove it three ways to Sunday. Honestly, right. I wouldn't do that. So, um, my experience with dealing with other researchers in the South American part of this has been tentative because they're very territorial. And right. to me, to me, it was more important. To, I mean, okay, let me back up for a second and I'll just put it simply. If we can establish that Hitler didn't kill himself, number one, and that he got on a plane and got the heck out of there from Spain, for instance, the rest of it about in South America is not relevant. So mm-hmm. that's what I've carved out for myself. That's the angle. That's the only part that was important for me you know, for the past nearly 10 years. Right. It makes sense because, yeah, I think the uh, historians in South America, Peter, you're right, they're very covetous. Um, there is a Nazi past there in South, in South the uh, like in Argentina, Paraguay, Chile, all parts of South America. And I think that they have a you know, every now and then to back up on Yahoo News or someplace, they came across some huge museum, you know, of, Nazi artifacts in the basement of some mansion or a lot of artifacts were down there, actual relics from the third Reich. And so, yeah, they're very protective. I think of that and that history. This is my two cents worth. Yeah. My only, go ahead, sir. My only, the only research that I've been involved in where I can speak with any authority on the South American question is that that um, I, th- I think I mentioned this last time, so stop me. I don't want to be repeating myself. But um, a friend of mine, who's, his name is Paul Schreiber. Uh, he was a little boy during the Battle of Berlin. His father was the top um, office desk doctor, if you will, in the Wehrmacht. And um, when Whoa. the war ended, he was captured by the Soviets. And um, General Schreiber um, was in the same prison and jail cells with the other quote-unquote witnesses of Hitler's supposed death. And he had the opportunity to speak with each and every one of these witnesses that have been trotted out endlessly by the quote-unquote standard tellers of this story of Hitler's death. And... Dr. Schreiber said each of these men admitted they had made it all up. They didn't see a darn thing. And we know this Hmm. because Dr. Schreiber, with the, get this, with the assistance of the American, American counterintelligence, was able to escape Soviet captivity by pretending to be on the Soviet side, getting sent to East Berlin to help set up their communist government um, and using that opportunity to contact 
someone that contacted the CIC and they got him the heck out of there, and then he spilled the beans on everyone. So the, the so as of um, his his escape from Soviet control in East Berlin was in uh, 1948, and he and his family were sent. Get a load of this, and this is a typical story. He and his family were sent to America in Operation Paperclip, and they were of sent course. first to uh, to Alabama and then to Texas. And when uh, the newspapers in America found out that General Schreiber was living in Texas and working for the United States government, everyone freaked out, and President Truman signed a paper and said, okay, we're going to get him out of here, and we're going to send him. Oh, we're going to send him to Argentina. Huh. So Paul, the boy I mentioned that was just just a, a kid you know, during the Battle of Berlin, uh, where his father mm-hmm. was stationed, General Schreiber, ended up in Argentina, in Arroyoje. Sound familiar? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. is um, the safe house, supposedly, and I believe it was, of Adolf Hitler. And a lot of folks don't know that Argentina, the the joke down there is they call it the Fourth Reich anyway, because you have many German villages down there now. And Bariloche is, is infamous. But uh, continue, sir. It's very, very alpine in flavor, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> it's an amazing story. It is indeed. It is indeed. Well, uh, have I worn you out yet? No, you, you have done fantastic. I want to thank you so much for your time. And, I, and um, you know, you're, you're quite the uh, fantastic guest, VIP guest, to come on the show. We could talk for hours about this. But that's a nice place to end it in Bariloche. And from there, the story continues, Mr. and Mrs. America. Operation Paperclip, which you mentioned, Peter, was amazing, where where the United States government uh, brought over thousands of Nazis for our military industrial complex in NASA, State Department, other uh, jobs that they held for many years. I want to thank you again for your time, and how can folks reach you and – I did mention earlier that your book was on Amazon.com as well as, as your other fine books, but how can folks find out more about you and your work and your craft? Yeah, um, PeterDavidOr.com, just like in his, my last name is two R's. So PeterDavidOr.com, that's uh, the easiest place to find me. Um, I'm on Facebook and places like that uh, and on Twitter. Uh, again, same name. Um, and yeah. I would I would really ask if I could do, just do a quick plug about Amazon for a moment. Sure. Can I do that? I've had such yes, sir. With Amazon, and I just want to express to your audience um, how they they need to be careful. You know, I have my book on Amazon because there's no really way way to get around it. However, I've, I've discovered right. that, they, that that they will they are very susceptible. To censorship. I, I, long story short, can you imagine that my book, Hitler's Suicide Reasonable Doubt, was censored all across Europe? Because on the back cover, there's um, an image of uh, Hitler's last will and testament. And on that document, obviously, uh, is a Right, Scott. <laughs> and that right. That-
trip the sensors. And we went back and forth for nearly two weeks with, with Amazon uh, about this form of censorship. And my book was off of the, sh- you know, not available in Europe, including Great Britain, because of the, dist- the way Unbelievable. they are distributed in Europe. And during that time, I lost 18 reviews for the book Hitler's Suicide. 18. And I, I say, well, how do I know that? Because, because uh, on, on, my, on, on my Facebook page, I ask. I say, okay, uh, has anyone reviewed the book? And I get all these responses, and, but they're not there. So, uh, yeah, that's been that's – Wow. But, but, but <laughs> we, we were victorious. We were victorious because I said, hey, I'm going to sue you because I, f- I have found over 100 other titles with swastikas and blazes in all of these books for sale all over Europe, including Germany. And so what you're saying is your policy That's right. is false. False. It's all over and the if place. You're, if you're going to attack me, you're going to attack all these mainstream historians too, or I'm going to hold you accountable. And they relented. So there you go. There you go. I love it. In fact, the swastika is an ancient uh, symbol from thousands of years ago, uh, still revered by by many. And then it's really it really symbolizes the, the uh, sun to many. And the Third Reich adopted it, and they felt the power of that symbol. And history writes the rest of the story, as they say. Author Peter David Orr, we want to thank you so much for being on the Von Wehan Show. Fantastic, fascinating story. A lot of our listeners, I've noticed, they will play back these shows on podcast again and again and again. So uh, you'll get you'll have many people listening to you from all over the world, sir. I want to thank you again. I appreciate you uh, having me on, and it was a fantastic time talking to you, Von. Keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. Folks, Peter David Orr, the book, the mission, the man, the legend. He's done extensive research. The book is incredible. Hitler's Suicide, Reasonable Doubt. Thank you again, sir. Have a wonderful night. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Wow. What a fantastic interview. Uh, fantastic book. World War II is fascinating, folks, and um, it's amazing the history that we don't know. We have many callers. We'll get to you all here momentarily. But um, I do believe Adolf Hitler escaped the bunker. I believe it's, I call it the bunker myth, the Battle of Berlin. It's a known fact that Stalin and Truman and uh, Winston Churchill did not believe that they got Adolf Hitler. It was a very tightly guarded secret among the Allied High Command. The Soviet Premier Stalin um, claimed he had Hitler's body or skull for 30, 40 years after the war. It was debunked, I believe, in the late 1970s, or early 1980s, when it was found out by forensic scientists that the skull that the Kremlin had was that of a female skull and not that of a male skull. And also the dental records were all wrong and the teeth. They did not, again, did not match Adolf Hitler. I believe either a double died in the, in the um, bunker to look like Hitler, part of the bold plot. 
people forget that Hitler was a very intelligent man. Uh, we're not going to argue the morality of any leader in World War II, because we all know that we are a world of war. War is brutal. People die in war and get wounded. There are many atrocities, by the way, on both sides, on the Allies' side and the Axis powers. Don't forget Dresden in Germany, which was firebombed by the Allies. War is brutal. War is hell. That's why we avoid war at all costs. But on my show, we will talk about it. It's very interesting what happened. Uh, there's so many reports of Adolf Hitler being in South America you could shake a stick at. Dr. Own American CIA and FBI wrote countless cables to President Truman and our government about um, sightings of Adolf Hitler in South America, Bariloche, uh, his hiding house. It's, it's really a mansion almost, or a McMansion in the forest there by a humongous lake. Argentina and the Eichhorns also helped out Adolf Hitler there. He had SS there in South America. Many SS officers got out at the end of the war, as well as Wehrmacht officers. Uh, it's an amazing story, and it's one which is still being played out today. So we think about that, and uh, that's why I love having these authors on who do extensive research, like author Peter David Orr. It's very interesting. I can't wait to read his entire book. I've read snippets of it, but I can't wait to watch or to read all of it. It should be made into a movie. I think it'll be in a, a quite the hit. World War II, the Fuhrer, the Allied armies, the brave soldiers on both fronts, fighting a tumultuous, chaotic, and bloody war. Sounds a lot like this.
Wow. And with that, let's bring on a caller. We'll get to uh, Lincoln here, I believe. Lincoln, is this you? Hey, brother. What's going on, Ron? Hey, good. Good, man. Just had an uh, incredible show tonight with our World War II author. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I was listening to your show, man. Like shows like that fascinate me, brother. I'm I'm big into World War II history, man, and uh, shows like that really fascinate, fascinate me. I'm uh, I'm really surprised your caller, your 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 guest on there is is still on Amazon, man. Like it's amazing how many books like Day of the Rope by the great Devin Stack and books like that have been banned from Amazon, and you can't they just they no longer allow them at all. But you know what? I know they do it's allow true. on there still. You know. But but they allow books like books by Nambla, the North American Man Boy Love Association, teaching men how to molest children, like young boys. That's allowed yeah. on there. But That's you know, disgusting. They have the rope and stuff. Absolutely disgusting. I know what you mean. You're right. No, you're right, man. It's like any any book that's degenerate has a home at Amazon.com and other places. Allegedly, of course, we don't want to get in trouble with them, but. I know what you mean. I definitely agree. No, I don't care. It's, it's not a legend. It's not a legend. It's not a legend. You just go there and search for it. I mean, they literally sell books that will teach grown ass pedophile men how to seduce young boys and get them to keep secret, to keep quiet about it, and, and stuff like Disgusting. that. That's fine with them. I know. <laughs> I'm being facetious when I say that. I know they do it, and they're very blatant about it. And um, yeah, it's disgusting, man. I mean. It's ridiculous, but yeah, any God forbid you have a book on Amazon with a swastika on it. Oh my God, all hell breaks loose, right? But you can have books on how to uh, burn down a city, how to be a Democrat fanatic and be an arsonist. Nambla, any books on um, alternative quote unquote lifestyles, all that's condoned. Crazy world we live in. Crazy. I was able to get most of the books I wanted to get, like Day of the Rope and like some certain other books like that. Luckily, I was able to find pretty much all of them. Um, I was surprised on uh, BarnesandNoble.com. They they still sold them, and it kind of surprised me. Um, that's like the the last outlet left I could find a lot of them. I mean, you can't find them on eBay or Amazon or any of those, but Barnes and Noble still had you know just most of the ones I wanted. You know, I have a World War II book collection, and these are books from. Peter David Ward, I'm going to buy, and uh, I've read some snippets on, on online, but I want to read the whole enchilada, right? So these books are going to go in my library. I can't wait to get my hands on them and read them. And, I mean, he's got a whole series of books uh, about yeah, this era that I can't wait myself, to read. Man. I plan on getting some of those books myself. I, I would like to – I'll definitely like to check them out. I've – I learned about him through your show, I mean, and uh, I'd never heard of him before. And yeah, I'm gonna check those books out. I'm that's right up my alley, man. I'm all, I'm really into that stuff. Like like I told you like a few weeks ago, man. I encourage everyone if you if no if people haven't seen the documentary on BitChute, it's been banned everywhere else. You can find it on BitChute called Europa: The Last Battle. I highly encourage anyone and everyone to go watch that. It's like 10 hours long, but BitChute you can find it broken down into like 10 different parts. They so can watch an hour here, an hour there, and because no one's going to set through mm-hmm. in our documentary. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah, I need to, to to re-see that. I mean, there's so many things out there. The history is amazing. They kept it from us, folks, for 60, 75-plus years, 
it's been coming out. These guys are dying out, and their their stories before they pass on are amazing. There's a lot of deathbed confessions in the last decade about World War II. A lot of people are talking, and they have and they are backing it up with proof and photographs and diaries and letters and microfilm, all the things of a great spy novel or spy movie. You know. It's incredible. Oh yeah, like the whole the whole Nuremberg trials, man. That was such a joke, disaster. I mean, that was that was. If there's ever a kangaroo, if there was ever like the biggest kangaroo court in history. That was probably it. I don't even. I can't think of a bigger kangaroo yeah. court than that. It was. <laughs> well, the Allied generals used to uh, joke and say, "If we don't win this war, the Germans are going to have a Nuremberg trial for us." How about those uh, apples? <laughs> There was one. There was one American general that was pretty outspoken about us fighting on the wrong side of the war, and his name was General George Patton. <laughs> yes, he was. Yes, he was. I mentioned him early on in in, in the show. Did you hear it? You can hear the uh, podcast I later. But I mentioned him early on in the show, uh, where he wrote diaries and letters home about that, and I think that's why the OSS got rid of him. Um, he wasn't. He was no longer of use to to them, and the Bolsheviks and the Red Army. He was, and the Red Army wanted him gone too. People forget the Soviets had immense influence over Churchill and Harry Truman and FDR during the war. They wanted General Patton gone because they always said the Russian generals. And I love hearing what what the other parties say. The Russian generals said General Patton is the only general. That if he allied himself with the remaining SS troops in Germany, he could have overtaken the Soviet Red Army. He was the one man that threatened them and that they were very fearful of. Oh yeah, the two the two they were most the two people the two generals they were the most fearful of of anyone was you know George Patton and you know for the Allies and uh, General Rommel from from the Germans they, you know he was an outstanding general as well as they were terrified of as they should have been. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Lee, you've been watching these um, things going on in this country as well. I told folks that all the time that a lot of the, you know, the preservation, quote unquote, of the West was not achieved in World War II. Sure, our countries are still here, but what I'm talking about is the fabric of the nation, the fabric of Europe, the the breakup of the family. We're seeing riots and chaos in American streets. It's crazy out there, man. You know. What are your thoughts about these I mean, fires and what's going I on? Pretty simple you know? thoughts about that, man. Honestly, when it comes to like, you look around, you look at who runs our media, the stuff that our kids are taught in school, this promotion of like homosexuality, transgender, bestiality, namble, all this stuff. Anyone thinks that the good guys won war two? One more war two? Look around you. Did we really win? <laughs> I would say not. You know, yeah, there's a lot of uh, conjecture about that. I mean, look at how degenerate the West has become, folks. I mean, what did we really achieve here, you know? Seriously. Yeah. There's there, yeah, there's a, a great storyline that if our soldiers in Normandy, Lincoln, could, could, you know, go back in time or fast forward to 2020, they would look around – and they would say, we stormed the beaches for this? Are you oh, effing kidding me? 
seriously? We stormed Normandy. We lost life and limb and got blown up for this. You know? Crazy. If our ancestors could see the world that we live in today in America and Europe, and I do consider America a European nation, so I'll just say all of Europe. Um, if they saw our world today, I think they would immediately join the other side. I really do think that. Yeah. Well, they would, I mean, they would do what? I think they would join the other side of the war. They saw what they're fighting for. They saw what they're fight, like right. what the future was going to bring for their great victory, they claim. And I think they would re- refuse to fight or fight for the other side. Right. Well, I've always said that um, I love the interviews of the Allied soldiers, the ones that are alive today still, and they're dying off every day. But my point is the Allied soldiers, the British, the French, the Americans, brave, valiant soldiers did their best, but they've often been interviewed, and they have a different take on World War II that's not politically correct. They have said, a lot of them have come out and said, and written letters that they would not have stormed Europe or stormed those beaches knowing what's happened to their country today. UK is invaded. Uh, they did not preserve the, the uh, country of England or the United Kingdom. America has not been preserved. We have riots and chaos and fires in our streets and millions of immigrants that have just been swarming over here that, was not preserving Western democracy because more and more of America is looking like a third world country, you know, in many of our cities. So that's not preserving Western democracy and the American way of life. Wouldn't you agree, Lincoln? No. Oh, and I, I hate the I, I It disgusts me every time I hear the argument from people in both the cut conservatives and the liberal, you know, well, they're both liberal. So anyway, the, the cut conservatives or the, or the Demo- the, Lib- the Democrats, um, I, it, I despise when I hear him say like, well, America was founded, you know, it's a melting pot. It was founded on blah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a melting pot. The first immigrant, the first immigration act, our founding fathers was the naturalization and immigration act of 1790, which said that the only immigrants allowed here you had to be a white man in good standing. That was our first immigration bill by our founding fathers. It was never meant to be a melting pot. That stupid little plaque on the Statue of Liberty that says, give us your tired, your hungry, your poor, that was put there in the 1960s to Jew. Right. Look it up. Google it. Look it up. <laughs> it's very true. Very, very true. You know, um, well, thank you, man. I want to say you're calling the show. Go yeah, ahead, brother. sir. Hey, I appreciate having me on, man. Hey, wait, wait. No, you were going to say something towards the end there. I just wanted to ask you a question, man. Like, uh, if, sure. I, if I was to go out tomorrow, if I was to go out and say uh, I went to 109 restaurants and I got kicked out of all 109 restaurants, are the 109 restaurants the bad guys or is there something wrong with me? So I want you to just go Google or go to DuckDuckGo and type in 109 countries. There's one group of people that Hitler was really, really did not like that have been banned from 109 countries throughout history. Our 109 it's countries funny how you put that. I like people. it. 
Well, I would say that 109 restaurants probably have a good have a good reason, but we we got to end it there for a time sake. Lincoln, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. Have a great night. Have a good night, brother. Thanks about that was Lincoln calling from somewhere in the middle part of America, the breadbasket of America, flyover country. And uh, right now, I believe we got some more callers here, so I want to get some more in before we uh, go. Um, we got a few minutes here left, and uh, let's just take a look here. I think we've got Breath the Surfer on. Taking the uh, kayak surfboard out to the Sea of Cortez this weekend, and uh, I just got to clear my head, man. I see these fires up north, and uh, just just uh, devastating, man. And and uh, what you hear, and then the crazy thing is, is a lot of these people are clearing out the forest with that excess wood. I read an article that I'm talking 125. acres of, of wood that they'll, they're just, uh, they're, they're taking the trees. I, I'm like, man, think how much money that they're, this is an article on, I'm like, it's just, it's just obviously arson, you know, it's, it's not that many lightning strikes, you know, and, uh, just real scary thing, man. Well, they always say they're for the environment. This is where the Democrats are hypocritical. They say they're for the environment. We care more. We're the Democrats. We care for our environment. Save the whales, they say. Save our forests. So next time I next time you see one of those pinko commies with save the forest or save the environment as a bumper sticker, walk up to them and say, You punk, you and your leftist freaks <laughs> have torched the West Coast of the United States. You've torched Washington. You've torched Oregon and Northern California. You're a hypocrite. 
tell that to their face. Yeah, and you're morons. You say you're for the environment, and you and your and your leftist Antifa BLM freakazoids go out. You're just mad because no one's taking you guys seriously or not joining your cause. So what do good commies do, Brett? If they don't, if they can't win legitimately, burn it all down. Shut it all down. down We're going to empower It's miserable, you know? Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that and then the police officers being shot. I mean, this morning uh, there was a a 17-year-old pulled out an AK-47 and started unloading on on a police officer and and i mean what city was that in you know and there that was in uh phoenix i believe or was it or was it Tempe? was that the drive-by shooting at the federal building no no this was another one this was another one and they caught the guy in our backyard yeah 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 i haven't uh, heard about that one just uh yeah did that just happen tonight yeah the news they no, okay. it was, it was, it was earlier today. It was uh, okay. I'll catch you up with the obvious. news on all that. There's so much news that comes across my uh, my yeah. desk, man. It's amazing. And, and it's, a lot of you things. Know, and you see the police officers now driving in twos. You know. Um, sure. And, Don't blame and, them, man. You know it. Yeah, it, it's it's, uh, it's 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 crazy times that we're witnessing. You know, and and uh, God, it but it really is. But that's why we're here, Vaughn. We're here. We're here as, as the resistance, right? We are the resistance, man. We are the real patriots in the country, my friend. God, it's so true. Well, Brad, I want to really thank you, man, for coming on. I know you're a macho guy like me and the other guests here tonight. And uh, I want to thank you, man. We'll, we'll uh, play uh, Numero Uno Cologne next. <laughs> All right. The great All sponsor right, of, a, of the show. <laughs> Brent, thank you, buddy. Fight the good fight. Good talking to you, All man. Right, good bro. to hear your voice. You, okay, Thanks. man. Text him. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, folks. Um, if you're a real man, go ahead and you can put this on Numero Uno Cologne. search. Each man different, living his own way, searching, discovering numero uno, the new thing in colognes for men. In all the world, there are only four basic masculine scents. Here's the best of each. Numero uno gold, numero uno green, numero uno red, numero uno silver, Four numero uno colognes, all different, all wild. Find yours with a searcher kit, a jigger of each scent. Then get a full-size bottle of the one that makes it for you. Numero uno. Folks, we want to thank you for being here tonight. We're going to adhere to our, our strict radio air times going forward. Uh, we've been going over a little bit, and I want to keep the show a little bit tighter. We had the incredible VIP guest, Peter David Orr, and his book. And uh, check him out, Peter David Orr. Just Google it on on the Internet. And uh, fantastic guest about the Berlin Bunker, the Fuhrer Adolf Hitler. 
And I want to thank all of our new guests and our new listeners of the show. We love you all. We had 102,000 listens last week. And our main cities where we are the most popular is Los Angeles. Keeps making us number one. Thank you. Phoenix, of course. Juneau, Alaska, and Las Vegas, Nevada. We're all over the world. Many new countries. South America also loves the show now more than ever. So we thank you all for being here tonight. Again, next Thursday at 8 p.m., the Von Wehunt Show, the legendary show. This was episode 16, Adolf Hitler in Argentina. Fascinating interview tonight, and I want to thank you all. This is cult radio like no other. You have been in the radio octagon. We will always talk about the streets of America. We want to thank our great show sponsor, Wolf Studio Productions. Good night and God bless to you all. Stay safe and stay away from those damn riots. They're unsafe for you and your family. We hope that uh, America prevails in the course of human events.